I'm going to begin in verse 8. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray. Father, we have praised your name in prayer and song. We've confessed our sins to you. Uh, we have been reminded of our, our pardon through Christ. We have given our resources to you in a small way as a, as a reflection of how much you have given to us. And yet, God, you tell us to continue to bring all our requests before you. So we do so now. Father, we lift up Brittany uh, right now. We pray, God, that you would give her strength as she's delivering this child. We pray that you would be with this child as he's entering into the world. We pray, God, that you would just be kind to the Beck family. Father, we thank you how you have sustained them. We pray, God, that you and in your mercy would just shine on that family. We thank you so much for uh, Grant and Amber and the new life that they are expecting. Dear God, we pray that even now, Lord, as the child is, is, is growing, we pray, Lord, that you would knit that child in your image. God, that you would give that child unique strengths and unique passions, God. Uh, you, you would even now be preparing good works, Lord, in advance for that child to do in, honor, in your honor and glory. God, we are so grateful for how you're moving in the life of this church. Father, we do pray that you pray with, be with those who are hurting this season, all those who are grieving lost loved ones, Lord. Uh, we pray that you administer to their hearts. Uh, we pray for those battling physical illnesses. We pray, continue to pray for Fred Justice, Lord. We pray that you give him healing in his neck and uh, his arms, God, strengthen his legs. Father, we pray that you be with Barbara McGirt in her continued recovery. Father, uh, we pray for Fred Hope and just how your hand be upon him. We rejoice in how you've healed Miss Louise, Lord. We thank you so much for your kind hand on her life. God, you have been so good to us in so many ways, Lord. So, God, we pray that you would allow us to, to worship you, um, that our hearts would be filled with joy, that even those who are, who are struggling physically this morning, God, that their trust would not be in their own health, but their trust would be in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we also just pray for our, our world. We pray for the, the country of Russia today, God. We pray that you would, would humble their leaders, Lord. Father, that that land would not be a place of pride, but, God, be a place of humility. Lord, that your people would, would, would manifest the, the picture of the, the one who was on the throne, who condescended to this earth, God. We pray that your people's humility in that land would bring much fruit for the gospel. God, we also pray for our own nation. We pray, God, that as, as, our, as our country turns this, to this new uh, uh, year and this new presidency, God, that you would, would give people humility, God. That all those who are thinking about this political process, God, would not be uh, full of fear or worry, but, God, that their trust would only be in you, Lord. And we pray, God, that even those who are happy with the results of the election, we pray, God, that they, too, would hope in you and not in any system or man, God, that their hope would fully and only be in the Lord Christ. 
We pray for churches in our area. Uh, we pray for Northside Baptist Church this morning and Scott Davis as he's uh, finishing up the Gospel of Matthew today after uh, two years. We pray, God, that you would just call that church to fulfill the Great Commission, that you'd use the, the word being preached even now, Lord, to encourage that church to go and make disciples of all nations. We ask now, Lord, as we turn to the word of, our, word of God ourselves, that you would quiet our hearts and that you would make much of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. God, we pray that you would put a longing in our hearts for your return. God, that we as the people of Israel would, would long and desire, Lord, uh, for your return. So, dear God, I pray that you would use my words to, to glorify your holy name, to convict the hearts of your people. God, to drive us to repentance, to, to help us grow more and more in righteousness, godliness, and holiness. Uh, Father, I pray, Lord, that you would allow me to decrease, that you may increase, that the name of Jesus Christ would be extolled and that you would help transform this people, uh, the people that you've given me to, to, to shepherd and pastor, that you would form them more and more into the image of Christ, that we would be a sweet reflection uh, of your godly character to our world. So I ask now, God, that you would preach through your servant for the glory of your name. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, ever since I can remember, um, I've always loved playing sports. I was one of those kids growing up that if there was, a, there was always a ball in my hand, whether it was a football, a basketball, or a bat, and a baseball, I loved playing sports. Uh, my family grew up right behind Lincoln Elementary School, where I, where I attended elementary school. Uh, it was a wonderful place uh, for me because there was two basketball courts, uh, there was a lot of brick walls I could throw a ball against, and there was a field that I could go play baseball. I can't tell you how many times I would go down on a Saturday morning and pretend I was Michael Jordan shooting fadeaway basketball shots by myself. Or how many times I would draw a chalk out strike zone on the wall and pretend I was Greg Maddox pitching for the Chicago Cubs. Or I'd go out in the field, I'd throw a ball up, and I'd hit it and go run after it for hours on end because I wanted to become Mark Grace. I love sports, and after I would go out and play in the field, I would come back right around lunchtime. I'd have two bowls of Cheerios. That was my typical lunch as a child, and then I would watch the Chicago Cubs. 1.20 kickoff or uh, uh, opening pitch. Uh, the Chicago Cubs didn't have lights when I was a child, so it was all day games. Loved watching the Chicago Cubs and uh, especially hearing that famed announcer, Harry Carey, uh, in his call for those home runs. It might be. It could be. It is a home run. I watched so many Cubs games as a child. The problem with growing up a Cubs fan is that we weren't very good, right? We've always been the, the lovable losers, and the team would often give you just enough hope uh, to carry you through to the next season. Uh, only to, to, to lose in the most dramatic and pathetic ways possible. At the end of the 1991 season, Harry Carey uh, wanted to, to, to show the fans who had another year of unfulfilled hope. Cubs will be in the World Series. So this past year, the Chicago Cubs was the best team in the regular season. They won 103 games, and all Chicago Cub fans, all of us across the world, were thinking, could 
this be the year. We didn't often talk about it because we didn't want to jinx it with all these curses flying around. We've had some come so close before in 84, um, 89, in 2003, when we were five outs away from making the World Series until Steve Bartman caught the foul ball and everything just tanked uh, after that. It was a sad day. I remember watching that game in a, in a Cubs-filled restaurant and almost the air was sucked out of the place. So this past year, when the Cubs finally beat the Dodgers in the National League Championship Series, I don't know what came over me, but I'm sitting in my living room at 1 o'clock in the morning on my couch as a grown man sobbing, right? I am sobbing, and I'm trying to say, pull it together. You're a grown man. You should not be crying over a game. And I, I pulled myself together, and then I just started sobbing again. It was almost as if I was transported back to my 11-year-old self and all the hopes and aspirations of following this team um, to win. As I've talked to other Cub fans, that's been a very similar experience. This, this hopes and this longing finally fulfilled have just caused grown men to cry in uncontrollably. It was the fulfillment of years of waiting, years of hoping, years of longing with a community. Not alone, because this is this community of being a Cub fan. And just think, if something as inconsequential, and I truly mean that, inconsequential as a baseball team going to the World Series can captivate the hearts after years of waiting, what will it be like? Or what was it like for the people of Israel after years of longing, years of waiting, and years of hoping to hear those words? The Christ, the Christ is born. The longing of Israel was finally over. I pray this morning that we would give a, get a glimpse of that longing. And not only the glimpse of the longing that Israel had, but the longing that we should have for the return of our great Savior. If you want to follow along on the outline provided for you, I just want you to see the promised Savior. Uh, this promised Savior. Let us tap in a little bit in terms of what was Israel really longing for. Uh, so, all throughout the Old Testament, the history of God's people uh, in, in the Scriptures was always about this promised Messiah that was going to come. We know from 1 Peter chapter 1, it says that the angel or the prophet searched and inquired, who will this Messiah be? Everything in their life was all about this Messiah. And there would be times when someone would kind of pop up and then it would be left unfulfilled. Even if it was the great men in the Old Testament, whether it was Abraham or whether it was Moses or, or David or, or Gideon or, or Solomon. These, these leaders who would, who would rise up only to be shown as not the Messiah. So the first longing is they were longing for the son of Abraham, the son of Abraham. So in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 3, a passage we should all be familiar with, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth 
shall be blessed. Now we know that Abram was 75 at this point, did not have any children. God said, through you, I'm gonna, you're going to have offspring. Well, what we find out is he's 90 years old and he still hasn't uh, had a child. He's, a, he's 100 years old and he still has not had a child. And yet God was true to his promise. So we read in Genesis chapter 17. When, when, when he was questioning God, God, you haven't fulfilled your promise to me. Where are you? That, that those years of longing, those years of waiting, 15 years for him, will you give me a child? You have promised me a, a son to, to bless all the nations of the earth. Well, after being questioned, the Lord spoke to him. Abram fell on his face, the scripture says, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant, my promise is with you. And you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations. And the king shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. To be a God to you and your offspring spring after you and I will give to you and your offspring after your after you the land of your sojourn is all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession and I will be their God now, I want you to see the, the significance of that it's hard for us sometimes when we when we read the Old Testament because I don't think that we as New Testament Protestants have a, have a full realization of how important the Old Testament was in the life of God's people. All of Israel in the first century were longing for God to keep his word to Abraham. They were longing with hope beyond hope that God would send the son, the offspring of Abraham, waiting and waiting and waiting. Far more than 108 years as a Cub fan. The son of Abraham. But they not only were waiting for the son of Abraham, the second thing they were waiting for was the son of David. The son of Abraham was also going to be the son of, of David. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, God's word says this, in, beginning in verse 8 of 2 Samuel 7, it says this. It's a long passage, bear with me. It says, Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, this is the Lord, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be a prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and I will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, declares the Lord, moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring. Same promise he made to Abraham. I will make, raise up an offspring after you who shall come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits 
iniquity. I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the son of men. This dual promise that, 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 that David had Solomon, who was going to, to build him a literal house, the, the temple. But long in the future, there was going to be another son who was going to establish his kingdom forever. So Israel, first century, was waiting and was longing for that son. The great son of Abraham, the great son of David. Will the Messiah come? All of their life was revolved around that promise. But not only was it established in Abraham and Moses, it was actually established way at the beginning of God's people in, in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, after Adam and Eve fell in disobedience to God, God was, was cursing uh, the serpent who led Adam and Eve astray. And he says this to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your off." Spring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Right there at the opening pages of Genesis, in the opening story of the world, there was the promised new Adam. The new Adam who was going to come and crush the head of the serpent. The son of Abraham, the son of David, the, the new Adam, but also the new Moses. The new Moses. In Deuteronomy 18, Moses is, is kind of laying out his, his final words uh, to the people. Uh, passing on his leadership to, to Joshua. And this is what he says they must look forward to in Deuteronomy 18, beginning in verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen, just as you desired the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see his great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, They are right and when they have spoken. But I will raise up from them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth. He shall speak to me that all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words, that he, he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. So you see these great figures of the Old Testament. You have Adam. You have, have Abraham and, and Moses and David. There was going to be one like them who was going to live as the Messiah, as the Savior of the world. And each year went by. Waiting, waiting, and waiting. Until we see the end of the Old Testament. The last prophecy in Malachi that there was going to come one to announce the way of the Lord. And then you have silence. Even now, listening to a sermon, you hear that silence. And we don't hear it very often. We don't hear God speaking, but we're, we're, we're waiting. And sometimes it's difficult for us to wait for, for 10 seconds, let alone 300 years. Waiting, waiting, waiting. So put that in context. Years of waiting for the son of Abraham, waiting for the son of David, waiting for the new Adam, waiting for the new Moses, year after year after year. And hear the words again in Luke chapter 2 this morning. 
And the angel said to them, Fear not, for I behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day, this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Can you imagine hearing those words after year of waiting? This day the Savior is born. You can see that the joy, the exhilaration, the excitement, it finally has happened. And when it does, you can't control your emotion. You're like a 36-year-old man transformed to an 11-year-old body just sobbing because a baseball team won a game, right? Joy beyond joy beyond joy. But we know that when this great Savior was born, and the joy that, that was announced at his birth would only lead towards his death. The second point this morning, not only do we see the promised son, but we see the promised sacrifice. The promised sacrifice. Notice what the, the scripture says right after that. After announcing that born in this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord, the Messiah, the Savior of God's people. And how will God save His people? Look at what the Savior says, or the Word says of this Savior in verse 12. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. It's almost really anticlimactic, isn't it? waiting for the Savior of the world to come, the, the long-waited son of Abraham, the son of David, the new Adam, and the new Moses. When? Who is this new king? Who is this Messiah? You need to go in that cave. You need to look in the, the, the place where, there's, where animals feed, the feeding trough, and there you will find a baby. The one who left glory to become a man. To humble himself. Even in his birth. His birth of humility is a reminder of, of why he came. And where that birth will lead us. Now if you look in the Old Testament, that was always promised. It was always promised that the Messiah, the one who was going to come, had to first come to suffer as a sacrifice. Turn with me to Isaiah 53. We'll be here the rest of this morning. Isaiah chapter 53. So you see these two great truths. The Savior is born and he's in a feeding trough. He is humbled. It's interesting how Isaiah 53 begins. Isaiah 53 verse 1 says this. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? It's, it's a simple question. Who has believed all that God has promised would happen? Who has believed all that God would said would happen of the, of the Christ? Do you believe that the son of Abraham would come? Do you believe that the son of David would come and establish his kingdom on a forever throne for all time? Do you believe that there's going to come one who's going to crush the head of the serpent to, 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 to give new life to his people? Do you believe that there's going to come one like Moses? 
with the word of God. Do you believe? But do you also believe that this great one who's going to come must suffer and die? That's the great promise. The great promise of Christ is that he will come in victory, but his victory will only precede suffering. The Savior must die. That's the only way that we can be saved from our sins. I'm not even sure if you heard what John said when he prayed. He said that, you know, God is a God that will always hold us accountable for our sins. He will always, because he's a God of justice, he has to hold people accountable for their sins. So whatever sins you have in your life this morning, God will have to deal with them with you. And he deals with them one of two ways. He will let you bear the penalty for your sins for all time. In a place called hell, where there's an everlasting fire, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth in outer darkness. That is the consequence of rebellion against the holy and just and righteous God. So he will deal with you that way, if you so choose. But if you turn from living for yourself... Turn from from trusting in your works and trust in Christ and in Christ alone, in his death on the cross, his resurrection from the grave, his ascension into glory, and his promise of coming again. If you believe that Jesus Christ is the one who was born, the Savior of the world, the Messiah who came to die, if you believe that, God will take your sins and place them on Christ. All of them. All of them them. Because God will not be mocked. He has to deal with sin. Or else he's not a just God. But God gives you the way. He provides the way for you by being God himself in the flesh, coming and dying for us. That's the great promise of the Messiah is that he came to be the Savior. And the only way he can be Savior is if he suffered. The first thing we see of the Savior, he's a man of sorrows. Man of sorrows. Joy came at his birth. Amen. Isn't this this the season of joy? We want to sing and want to rejoice. Rejoice. Emmanuel is here. And yet we know where he's leading. Look at the text. Isaiah 53 verse 2. He grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. And no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Can you imagine holding your child, looking down at your child and knowing that his life is going to be difficult? And usually when we hold our young child, the child that was just born, we have so much joy and so much hope and so much aspirations of what this child will will become and and do in, in this world. And we're just bubbling with joy. But to know that this child is going to suffer, this child is going to be rejected, he's going to be betrayed, and ultimately he's going to be put to death. That beautiful child, the child that causes us to rejoice, His life will be hard. He will be a man of sorrows. 
but not only will be a man of sorrows and having rejection from even those who are closest with him, but he'll be a man of suffering. Look how the text goes on. Verse 4. So surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. It's interesting when you read this in the Old Testament, because when we're reading in the Old Testament, it hasn't happened yet, right? Christ hasn't fully come, and yet this is all past tense. Why? Well, because this has been planned before the foundation of the world. God had always planned to redeem his people for himself by giving himself for us. It is already in the books, because what God says, it's as good as done. This is past tense, even though it yet has yet to happen yet. Just like in our lives today, God has given us many promises to a future that we have not yet fully realized, but they are as good as already happened. So the Bible says right now, if you are a believer in Christ, you are raised with him. It's past tense. And yet we haven't fully realized that promise yet. Look at what the scripture says. Surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Just think of those words. Think about how many times we have gone our own way, we have done things for ourselves, and the Lord has laid our iniquity, our transgressions, our sins upon Christ. The Savior, the long-awaited son of Abraham, the long-awaited son of David, the new Adam and the new Moses, the one who is going to bring us joy, has to die in order to accomplish it for us. Think about that. Sometimes it's hard to realize all that God has done for us. But just think about the people in this room. Think if, if one of you here would be willing to, to, to lay down your life for all of us here. If we knew that there was a grenade sitting in the middle of our, our sanctuary. And it's going to go off. Either all of us die or someone goes to that grenade, covers it up, and sacrifices himself that the rest may live. Every time we think of that person who jumped upon that grenade, what would it do for our hearts? It would cause us both to twinge because we weren't the one who, 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 who died, right? They were, but it also caused us great joy of the sacrifice this person did for us. And I think the challenge for us, beloved, is that we sometimes hear the gospel so much. We hear it so often that Christ, the Savior, died for us, that we don't personalize it, we don't make it real. We have to continue to figure out how do we make this real for us. So let me, let me just read this again, Isaiah 53, 4-6, and I want you to be very personal when I, when I read this. I want you to think about particular sins that Christ has taken for you. Surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. And we have seen him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was pierced 
for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Beloved, if that does not cause our hearts to rejoice, then we do not understand the sacrifice of Christ. And we do not understand the, the right and just penalty of an eternal hell apart from him. Christ has rescued us from the grave. He has saved us literally from an eternity in hell by taking hell for us on the cross. So we say rejoice. Rejoice. Our Emmanuel. Well, lastly, we see that Jesus was the man for sin. To drive the point home even further. Look at how this scripture ends. Beginning in chapter 53, verse 7. It says, He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation who considered, he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Hear these words. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. So when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. Key that word. You see how that word is there in, in, in Genesis 17? Again, in, in, in 2 Samuel 7, it's prophecy to David. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days, and the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. You see how that works? It's because we believe in the, the promised offspring, we become part of that offspring, and we are counted as righteous because of the Savior that was born to us this day. The one who came and was wrapped in swaddling cloths and laid in a feeding trough. Verse 12. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. A couple words I want you to point out here in verses 11 and 12. It says that he made many to be accounted righteous, and he makes... In verse, uh, verse 12, it says that he bore the sin of many. It doesn't say some do not receive that sacrifice. Some, in longing and hoping for redemption, do not turn to Christ, but they turn to other means. 
Christ, Jesus, is the only Savior of the world. He is the only hope for humanity. And if you don't have Christ, you have nothing. But he offers it to, to all. He offers salvation to all. And many, many receive it. But you have to repent of your sins and trust in Christ and in Christ alone. Beloved, it is, you can only imagine how hard it is when you wait and you wait and you wait to lose hope. Just think about how many Israelites did not continue with Christ, but they lost hope. They lost hope that God would come and save them. During the Second World War, uh, the United States was caused to retreat from uh, the Philippines. Some of the soldiers uh, were left behind, uh, became prisoners of the Japanese. Uh, these so soldiers called themselves ghosts. Uh, souls unseen by the nation. Uh, these were the ones who were part of the infamous Bataan Death March, were forced to walk 70 miles, knowing that those who were slow or weak would be bayoneted by the enemy, um, die from dysentery or, or lack of water. Uh, they made Those who made it through the march spent three years in a hell, as, as hellish prisoner of war. And many of them truly just lost hope of ever seeing redemption, ever seeing their families again. L.V. Robbins was one of the rescuers, a group of 120 um, Filipino guerrilla warriors and about 800 United States soldiers rescued these, these men. He describes how when he came and saw one of the prisoners uh, to, to rescue. He was in a, in a dark corner, uh, tears coursing down his face, saying, I thought we'd been forgotten. I thought we'd been forgotten. Beloved, Israel probably felt that in the first century, being having Roman oppression. I thought we've been forgotten. Many of you are going through your own trials or have been through your own trials. And in that moment, you say, I think I've been Forgotten. Alvy Robbins looked at him and says, No, you're not forgotten. We've come for you. Often in life, when we start to give, lose hope, we feel that God has forgotten us, abandoned us to dark and hurtful experiences. But the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Christmas story, the announcement that the Savior is born, is a reminder to us that no, we have not been forgotten. No, our God is with us. The resurrection of Christ, the ascension to, to it, the, the right hand of the Father, His sending His Spirit as a deposit shows us that we have not been forgotten. Our God will always be with us. And beloved, one day soon, one day very soon, we will see our Rescuer. We will see our Redeemer. We will see the Savior of the world face to face. And we will be liberated, freed from all the, the waiting, all the pain of this life. And when he returns, or when he calls us home, we'll hear those words. 
I came for you. I came for you. Praise God he came for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for coming for us. We thank you for leaving your throne, condescending as a baby. And God, we we thank you for those glorious words. Those glorious words. The announcement that the Savior of the world is born to us this day. God, I pray that we would have the longing of the promise for the promised Son, knowing that you fulfilled the promised sacrifice. We thank you for coming for us. And we thank you that you have promised that you will come again. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.